Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Jeff Sire, and with me today is Mike McPeak. Hello. And Julie Keel. Hello, everyone. And today we're going to be talking about We Are Legion, We Are Bob. Did you guys listen to this on audiobook or? Uh, yes. Or did you? Okay. This is okay. like my first audiobook, so yes. This is, uh, yeah. we're, we're all three audiobooks. <laughs> Yes, and I can never say the name Bob without going Bob again. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and I okay, should clarify I'll... that. This is not my first audiobook. It's my first audiobook for the podcast, I believe. So, yeah. I'll just read the synopsis. Now, it's a little bit longer. We looked around, and this was the pretty much every site we went to had the same synopsis. So, um, Bob Johansson has just sold his software company and is looking forward to a life of leisure. Uh, there are places to go, books to read, and movies to watch, so it's a little unfair when he gets himself killed crossing the street. Bob wakes up a century later to find that corpsicles have been declared to be without rights, and he is now a property of the state, or the property of the state. He's been uploaded into computer hardware and is slated to be the controlling AI in an interstellar probe looking for ha habitable planets. The stakes are high, no less than the first to claim entire worlds. If he, if he declines the honor, he'll be switched off and they'll try again with someone else. If he accepts, he becomes the prime target. There are at least three other countries trying to get their own probes launched first, and they play dirty. The safest place for Bob is in space, heading away from Earth at top speed, or so he thinks. Because the universe is full of nasties and trespassers make them mad. Very mad. Uh, that's a okay synopsis. Of like the first yeah, three chapters or something. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Uh, doesn't do it justice. It's kind of weird. Yeah, this this is no. three books, by the way. It's a trilogy. Yeah. So, and I'm sure Shirley's going to hate me. I recommend this. I know how you love uh, uh, sequels, you know, but uh, it's, it's just the way it is. I'm finally getting used to the fact that it takes a trilogy to build a universe and then actually tell a story within it. So. This was a quick read, though. Like, it was uh, easy to follow story and everything. So. Yeah, and it was fun. This was a fun one. Um, and it's got some good science in it, too, or as, as far as I can tell. I mean, you know, I'm no scientist, but it sounds like they got their crap kind of together on this. Yeah, that's actually – I really, really enjoyed this because even if the science – wasn't 100% on, and I have nothing to say that it wasn't, it still raises the questions of, you know, what if, what if we did this, you know, what would that lead to? How would that look like? How would people react? What would it, you know, what would it be like to do that? So yeah, this, this is a fun little exercise in, you know, well, let's, let's take these couple of parameters, these couple of um, of, of, we'll take these few things and set them in motion and see what happens. See, you know, carry that out to the extreme. So yeah, this is, this was fun. Yeah. And it doesn't, doesn't help that they had, or it didn't hurt that they had their tongue firmly planted in cheek on, uh, <laughs> yeah. on this one. So yeah. And it's a ton nerd references left, right, and center. Oh, you know, this is like ready player one all over again. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, what what's missing from that synopsis is, you know, the, the synopsis basically talks about even just the first part of the first book where, yeah, this guy has been frozen and he's brought back to life and 
and he finds that he's going to be, you know, uh, an AI in a uh, starship, you know, to leave the solar system. Well, then the next couple, two and a half books talk about what happens when you leave that solar system and over, you know, a few decades slash hundred years. And, you know, yeah. So this, the synopsis doesn't cover any of that stuff. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but because of the amount of humor in the book, whenever, whenever they're kind of going out of their way to be humorous like that, I'm more likely to cut them slack on Science. the science end of stuff. Yeah. Cause they're telling, look, it, it seems pretty obvious that they're, they're really trying to tell a fun story rather than a, you know, perfectly plausible or accurate. Yeah. And I think story. it's the case of a story where, like I say, just let's, let's take this idea and play with it. I mean, it really did feel like a, a book that was playing with an idea, you know, not, not researching it, not, you know, spelling it out to the nth degree, but like, yeah, what if, you know, what if this happened? What would that look like? And what if that happened along the way? Oh, you know, and, and how would that affect this over here? So yeah, it felt like a playful book from well, a, a number of different levels. Yeah, and it also takes the thing of arguing oh, with yourself dear. to an entirely new level. There, you know, the problem with this book, it's not a problem. There's so much tech in it that we could, you know, we could take like one or two pieces of tech and talk about that for an hour completely. Like just just this idea of you are a revived intelligence. You know, you you find your you wake up and find yourself in a box. Your your memories have been downloaded to a box. And one of the things that the book uh, deals with is the fact that a lot of people, he's, this guy is not the first person to be woken up in that state, but uh, like pretty much everybody prior to him that wakes up in that state loses their mind. I mean, they go insane. They become, you know, non-functional um, because of the, that whole, I woke up, I'm in a box. Oh my God, I can't handle this, you know, concept. Um I disagree with that part of it. There's a few mm -hmm. things with this book that I disagree with. And one is like the idea is that, oh, you don't have sensory input and it drives some people crazy. Well, people don't necessarily just – well, what they revived five right. and four of them went insane. Um, so 80% of people don't go insane if they happen to lose their eyesight. <sighs> or – you know, there's more to it than that, but like, I, don't, I just found that a little bit. Like, our brains are very, very adaptable, and I just found it a little bit hard to believe that 80% of people couldn't handle, you know, all well, of a sudden that they didn't have a body. And I, that they, they I don't know get the, around the science that. behind this either, but I do remember uh, the show Fringe. Um, where they would put Olivia in a sensory deprivation tank, and there was there was essentially strict rules as far as how she far she could go, and it would have effects on her brain patterns and whatever. So, uh, you, you talked about losing one sense. That's one thing. The other thing is is losing all of them, yeah. as well as your culture, as well as your family, your occupation. You, you know, your whole base of your existence is, you know, so, I mean, I, I agree, perhaps that's a little far-fetched, but I, I can get where, uh, people would, you, you know, it's like putting people in solitary confinement. Even then they still have, you know, senses um, and people go insane there. Yeah. But solitary confinement, people don't go insane. People might have a 
you know, mm-hmm. manic, get manic. People might have a panic attack or whatever. But when they get taken out of there, and not to say that they don't have lasting effects from being in there, but like they they are not permanent. Like eighty percent of people who are in solitary confinement are not driven mm, permanently insane. In there. <laughs> like, so, yeah, but like, yeah, it does. I agree. I don't know. That I, just I seemed. Yep. Really I know some stretching. people that have come out of solitary well, confinement first, that have been there for years that have actually come out stronger than when they went in too. So there's that. The percentages may be a little high, but yeah, I could see that, you know, uh, and it depends upon the kind of person you are. And this is going to be a select group of people because they paid to have their heads cryogenically frozen. So this might be, these are going to be the people that have the money to do this. So that I think you could say is maybe a specific type of people, except for maybe someone who's inherited their money. This is going to be like kind of people that are driven that uh, like the guy in this story, you know, he built his own company he did all his things. And now all of a sudden he's in a box and he's lost control. Let's say, I think that could take that kind of person. Does anybody remember the Star the Trek edge. TNG episode where the three folks got woke up? The, yeah, the, yeah. The uh, the one person was the high, you know, driven, high powered dude who had all the money and was going to wake up and collect his fortune, you know, whatever. Then there was another guy who was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. It seemed okay, like you know, kind of a crazy thing to do. Why not type of thing? And then there was the gal whose family couldn't let go, so you know, against her wishes, basically, she was frozen. And she was the one who struggled perhaps the most um, with adapting to the new situation. So, yeah, it kind of all depends on the circumstances of why you wound up, you know, frozen in the first place. But, yeah, it's... Yeah. Which, that, that, uh, I I found that part of it that, that in... I guess it was around our time. So in the late, in the, in the early two thousands, they developed this technology where they could freeze people. And then apparently they only froze a few people. And then that was the end of it. Yeah. Which, okay. Yeah. I understand the United States gets taken over by this theocracy, which is another thing. Like I cannot imagine a theocracy that lasts a hundred years. Like that form of government seems so inherently unstable that, that uh, even if, if if it did last any length of time, they would kind of like re, maybe not regress, but they certainly wouldn't be a world player on, uh, you know, vying for yeah, supremacy of the, the globe. They tend right? to isolationism. Well, yeah, like the way, yeah, they tend towards. Well, look look at Iran, right? Iran's a theocracy. You know, Saudi Arabia, some somewhat less, and while. You know, Saudi Arabia might be rich because of natural resources. Nobody, you know, neither place is producing uh, Nobel Prize winners, right? Well, you know, according uh, the world that this guy uh, wakes up in, none of these people are exactly, you know, stellar global citizens. They're all trying to kill each other. And it does sound like things have regressed some because he had uh, uh, somewhere in there, I think I saw it in the synopsis, that he had to basically turn on the translator to understand they were speaking English, but not the kind of English that he understood. And it seemed like it had kind of regressed a little bit. Well, if Shakespeare woke up today, like yeah. he'd have just as much problem understanding us as we have understanding him. And I'm sure he would think 
that our language right. has regressed. Language is just drift. Yeah, that's, that's not, you know why Aussies yeah, talk like normal, Aussies right? and Brits talk like Brits. Dang it, the ice cream truck's going by. Bugger. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, that's a really good example. Like, look at the fact that uh, the Spanish that's spoken in Spain is uh, yeah, is different definitely. from the and Spanish even... that's spoken in the New World, and 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 it's they have that lisping sound, and that all goes back to some Spanish king who happened to have a lisp, and everybody wanted to sound like him, so they changed the language right. based on the king had this weird speech impediment. Yeah, I, I you no. know, this is an example of one of the places where that just sets the stage. There's a ton of technology in this book and there's you can nitpick each bit of it to death, but you you give them, you know, some leeway first off because it does have some humor and secondly, it just sets the stage for the, the larger story. So. Well, it, and the thing I found kind of interesting was the, uh, I put it in the show notes is not so artificial intelligence because right now we're trying to work on machine learning and they decided to take the, uh, you know, the consciousness out of a person and use that as their, their AI, um, you know, it's an interesting idea because right now we're trying to come up with a machine that thinks the way a person does. Well, they just kind of skip that and basically put a person's consciousness in there uh, yeah. to help with problem solving and that. I thought that was an interesting way of, you know, uh, getting something to drive your right. your van uh, Neumann. And it was, Neumann you know, device. and one of the things I to me, the reason that that wound up being a nice setup is because it led you into the next piece of technology that was used, where basically this guy, one of his coping mechanisms, shall we say, for uh, being, you know, woke up in a box, was he set up his own virtual reality. Um, he, he basically recreated everything from a living room to, you know, beaches and restaurants, whatever. I mean, whatever he wanted to, it's virtual reality. Um, so... He gave himself, even though he didn't have sensory inputs, he gave himself an environment that would have sensory inputs. So um, I thought that was a neat coping mechanism. Now we can, you know, we can continue to talk about whether or not that was necessary, but I thought it was a really neat yeah. way of dealing with that um, that environment, that situation, that challenge. Right. I think it, it could also be like, cause he didn't do that right away. And I wondered if that was a writing thing, because I would imagine if you were writing from the point of view of an, a disembodied AI, it could get a little bit kind of, it would feel kind of restrictive. So I wondered if he, if he was, if the Dennis, what's his name? Taylor was uh, writing that uh, because it was a lot more interesting to write um, the characters interacting yeah. in this, uh, yeah. um, you know, possibly you, like CGI world, but, right? I mean, yeah, possibly, but yeah. there would have been other ways to write that too. Yeah. I do think it's realistic though. Yeah. Like if, if you're basing your AI on like somebody's like a, a what's left of a person, um, I don't know what you would call that. Like the, the neural net of a person, I guess. Um, 
I think it makes sense that your residual personality that you would it would be more comfortable for you right. if you could create I mean, you some would sort want of virtual the comforts world. of home. I mean, and the the best and easiest way to do that is you know a virtual way. Um, back to Star Trek, you had the holodeck. You know, they would go back to Paris or to Sherlock Holmes or you know to a ranch in yeah. Montana and you know whatever. So yeah, there is something about trying to recreate the comforts of home um, through some means. And for the most part, up to this point, it's been through some version of virtual reality. Well, and I think too, if we want to go down um, this, okay, this guy, like say he's, he's a certain type of person. He's a, uh, you know, a computer, uh, he had a software company. Uh, Certain kinds of people tend to think, visually and i think maybe this is a way for him to um you know be able to visualize i think maybe that helped his his thought process because i'll do that sometimes when somebody's giving me instructions i'll close my eyes and i'll visualize what they're talking about to help me remember to help you know help it make uh, make sense to me so i think this might be like say another way uh for him to well, him, one of the reasons we're talking it about real, it as much it as we are is because it, it does become important to the story. I mean, there are environments that he creates where he, you know, has essentially meetings, virtual meetings with other folks. Um, and there are times when he uses it to ponder problems, you know, and that type of thing. So, it, sure, it can be a writing, you know, mechanism. It can be based in science and psychology or, you know, whatever, perhaps a little. But um, I think I did. it did wind up being an important part of the story. You know, the fact that there was this virtual reality that he was essentially living in um, as he was going about doing all of the things he was doing. Well, I think it was also to help him stay in touch with his humanity because he's, you know, a brain in the box, basically. And uh, he uh, goes back to help Earth. He goes and helps on other, you know, species that he meets along the way. I think this was just a way for him to, you know, kind of stay definitely. in touch with his human side so he doesn't quite, yeah, you know, lose so that. Speaking uh, of which, before we go on to the Prime Directive, yeah. um, <laughs> one of the things that was um, – crucial to the story is another bit of technology is basically 3d printers um self-replicating 3d printers are the crux a very critical part of this story um both as a, a mechanism to create things and as a constraint um which was fun to see um because a lot of times uh, when these sci-fi stories come up you know it's it's almost like magic stuff magically appears you beam it over or you know the replicator just pulls it out of thin air or whatever and here they they were dealing with the constraint of we have only so many replicators that can only build stuff so fast um and you have to make choices between whether you use that resource to build more 3d printers or whether you use it to build stuff that you need um and so the that right. was a real fun debate that, that was carried on. And I felt it felt very real that those choices that's, I mean, we do that daily where I work, the, the software, the project managers every day decide we have so many developers, we have a backlog of feature requests. What are we going to work on? Do we, you know, and even if you hire more people, well, that means you wind up taking a developer off developing to develop the developer, you know, so it's, it's, it's totally 
realistic in my mind as far as that resource management. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you could still use the word fun when it came to that. That just kind well, of we sounds get to like decide what you can and can't do, I guess. And sometimes what you can't do is nearly as important as what you you know can do. So there's that. Well, yeah, this is true. So we did have one of the main reasons why they sent them out and they actually talk about it is that they're using these personas to establish von Neumann devices. And I've personally have always thought that the lack of any von Neumann devices is probably the strongest argument to say that we are the only intelligent species in the galaxy. Because the idea is that anybody who's smart enough to get to space, the distances involved, the thing that makes the most sense is that you would send a probe out that would be able to duplicate itself to make more probes to send them out. And it's the whole, you know, they told two friends and they told two friends and so on and so on. And, you know, inside of like 100,000 years, you've got probes in every solar system in the galaxy. And because we don't see any of them, to me, that's a very good argument to say that there's nobody else other than us. That's not to say that's the right answer, but it seems to me that, and like they say in the book, that this is a logical step for going to space. And if it's a logical step that anybody should come to, this is a good uh, good argument because we don't see them. So that right. maybe and we're alone. In the book, they but do this get is the step beyond that they take in the, the book certainly to send the solar system. I can't remember quite the distances that they cover, but it's not insignificant. I wouldn't say it's, you know, universe wide. I'm not even sure if it was galaxy wide. Um, yeah, uh, but I think they're, they're only, more they're only uh, I think by the end of the book, they're only like okay. 20 years into it, right? That's that's part of it, though, is that there's a limit to how well, fast you much. can grow. Like, I don't think they're you know, 50. Back to that resource constraints. Sure. Yeah. Travel and and replicate. Well, you're you're restrained by the speed that you can travel at, right? Yeah, but once they start replicating, then like it's it's quick. Like, and you can even see, like, even in the space in the time yeah, frame I think of the there's book, like 10 they're already into actually. probably what ten or fifteen systems, right? Jeez. I've been playing in Ancestry.com and that's recently. Only gonna, Holy Christ, does that go, go up, up logarithmically? I've, I've just been accepting like all the hints. I used to kind of keep it within bounds of you know certain aunts and uncles and whatever, and I've just been bringing it all in, and poof, mind is blowing. It's it's uh, yeah, that stuff gets out of hand real fast when you start doing those generations and and having you know like ten kids in each generation. Um, so. Yeah, we don't know from the from the book exactly how many bobs are out in the universe. You know, we have some main characters, um, and just because for anybody yeah. who hasn't read the book, the the original device was called Bob, and one of the rules you know, talk about the three laws of robotics. There was a couple of rules um, that they set forth when they were started to replicate. And the first one was that everybody has to have it, their own name. You can't have Bob one, Bob two, Bob, you know, 213 kind of stuff. So everybody does get names. And as a reader, I'm like, thank you. Um, Cause yeah, but let's see, what else were the Bobs? Uh, superiors, 
<laughs> you know, elders. Well, the, right. Well, yeah, the, the, the eldest Bob is supposed to be the boss, I think, is what one of the rules that they set, had set forth. I don't remember if there's many other rules. That, yeah, their own name. And they also discovered that yeah, even though they derive from the same personality. Thing. Just because you have the same genes doesn't mean you're going to be the drifted, same person. Uh, from their, See, yeah. But, but I found that one believable because – Oh. It's like uh, it's like taking cuttings from a tree, right? So you're taking essentially clones from a tree, but when you grow the new tree, it's not going to look exactly the same. Like it's still going to be an apple tree or whatever, but it's not like the branches are going to be in the same places. It's the whole nature versus nurture. Like once you clone yourself off, then that new one is subject to different experiences, which will shape it and you know uh, form them in different ways. Like you, you look at yourself compared to your, to your, the way you were 10 years ago. Yes. You're the same person. You're at your core. You're the same, but you might look at the world in a different way. Or because even, the even twins, identical twins between today you know, and they, 10 years they, ago. Some twins choose to play off the identical as much as possible. Yeah, Other yeah, yeah, twins, yeah. you know, don't want to do anything the same. You know, if you're wearing a blue shirt, I want to wear a red shirt, that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I thought, yeah, really, I thought that was the, the, the personalities well, of all shirt. of these clones and we'll just call them that for convenience was spot on. I mean, certain personality characteristics would be very prominent in one clone and, and, and a different personality characteristic would be prominent in another. Some had, some had sense of humor. Some were very serious. Some were, um, you know, like to think about things and other people just wanted to, to do, you know, things. So, yeah. Um, which was kind of an interesting take on how, a varied one personality can really be too, you know, the, the many facets to one person so yeah one one trait they shared though is when they picked their names it was like a cultural zeitgeist um of uh references um not all of them i got but i mean they Homer. had like uh kelvin of kelvin and hobbs had garfield i got a list here of names i'm not remembering these from memory here yeah uh, bashful, dopey, sleepy, yeah. hungry. Then they quit. Uh, there, there was a few more, but I think they decided to change their names. Yep. Uh, Phineas yeah, and, and that's, Ferb. That's where uh, the, yeah, it the goes nerd, on. There's know, a bunch of them here. Bender. The nod to the um, nerds came through in big time was with their names. Um, and there was references to Star Trek too uh, throughout. Riker was one of the names. Um And right. I, don't, I don't know if it was in this book or one of the other books. Yeah, one of the no, other big things that happens in this book, too, is uh, that, that after a little too. bit of traveling around, ooh, guess what? We discover life on a different planet. Ooh, guess what? It's actually kind of intelligent life. Ooh, guess what? But it's not quite as advanced as we are. Prime directive territory, um, which was – I was laughing when I was at this part. I mean, this was actually a discussion – this, you know, Bob was having with himself as far, well, we can't interfere because of the prime directive. And the other Bob was arguing, good God, that's a TV show from a century ago, whatever, you know? So yeah, the, the influence of Star Trek is first off going to, you know, transcend space and time. 
but um, they do run into this uh, alien culture and interfere in a number of ways with somewhat predictable consequences. Yeah. yeah, and to tease it out into the other books, that that thread plays out. And, yeah, and there's – I don't know if – I guess it plays out the way you think it does, but, I mean, Dude, you know, they kind of – they. You know, when I'll do we not, not spoil anything, things? But, by you know, the way, they kind of realize they've done something here, podcast, and you just can't, so. like, walk away from it. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and well, like I say, there's consequences. They realize that there's I, I consequences to what they've done there, and like I say, you just can't walk was, away from this. So how uh, do you? They did you know, basically go in with a god complex. You know, hey, these people are having a hard time. Let's do this to help them, and it backfired. You know, because they didn't have cultural, historical information. You know, they 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 were walking into some place they weren't familiar with and making assumptions and anthropomorphizing big time. Um, but they worked it. They worked it out, and it was kind of interesting to see how they worked it out. Um, and that, you know, that little side trip could have been an entire book in and of itself. I mean, you know, you could have written a trilogy just on that. Um, but it, I, I really enjoyed that particular part of the story where they had come across this uh i sp- prehistoric culture i suppose would be accurate you know no written language um no real weapon yeah it yeah um so and then how they you know how a uh, drone primitive. shows up and it f- fixes all of their problems you know so yeah and and for anybody that right. hasn't uh, you know read the book, for God's sakes, get the right. audio version because yeah, listening the, the, listen, the uh, culture, to them say Bob all the their time. Their pronunciation it, was a little it. different. <laughs> Bob. Anyway, uh, gosh, what else happened in here? Oh, there was the other one too, where you had uh, political infighting, of course, um, where they actually found a planet that was all water. Um, and so, of course, some of these bobs out there in the universe, whatever their name might be, uh, were out to scout out habitable planets. Because remember, Earth is at this point, um, I think it's basically with three factions. There's this faith empire and then there's – it's like the Chinese, the and Americans, and the Brazilians. <laughs> near like, oh, maybe – was it Europeans? I don't know. So it, I I seem to remember there were like three factions um, and they're all in a space race and not just to go to space. It's yeah. like to conquer space and own it and, you know, take over the universe. Um, and so, you know, in the process of doing that, they were looking for habitable worlds because, you know, like you say, life on earth was about to uh, come to a, to a screeching halt. Yeah. That was one of the things that I did have a problem with. Um, And this is not the only book where this happens. But like, okay, everything to this point, everything humanity has ever created has all come from this one planet. So now we're, we're setting off. Everybody's going in different directions. 
and every planet they come mm-hmm. to is essentially at least people. as much resources as you had on Earth, and but yet we're going to fight to the death over them. Well, like, we've we've basically done the same thing on our own planet. So why would our personalities change if once we're so out in space? Insane. Oh, are you sure about that? <laughs> Not right off the bat, though. Yeah. <laughs> like, when we, the time, like, uh, when Europeans came to North America, they, you know, they didn't start fighting with each other right away. Now, they did start fighting with, with the natives because they were in conflict with them for resources and stuff like that. But, like, there was no fighting among the Europeans unless there were, you know, wars back in Europe. And even then, like, there's just so much space between them. You know, like, uh, the French didn't, uh, leave, uh, Quebec to go down the, uh, East coast to find, uh, the Spanish in Louisiana to fight them. You know, like it just, you know, the, the, the Europeans fought each other in Europe. And once they'd spread it enough that they came into to contact with each other in the new world, Yes, then they would fight them. And then everybody fought the First Nations people where they came into conflict over resources there. But, like, you don't seek out fights. You have fights over things that you're fighting over, right? It just, that didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Well, in the book, they had the Brazilians, uh, they had their own probe, and their probe was manned by a military guy, and uh, the, the... they're all kind of jerks. All the countries are kind of jerks in the book here. Uh, but the Brazilians was particularly uh, military uh, driven, very much, uh, I don't know if it'd be territorial, uh, you know, the we are right uh, mentality. So the guy they picked for their AI, they picked to win a war, not to uh, propagate the species. That part did make sense to me because that was the equivalent of, Okay, you found the new world. We're we're heading out for the new world to colonize it. But somebody says, you know what? I'm going to sink all the other guys' ships just as we leave Europe, so that I can just take everything. Yep. That that made sense because essentially, with the Brazilians, when they right from day one, they're like, we're going to seek these other guys out and kill them. So okay, I can see that. So that that, that way, once you've taken out all the other probes. Uh, and and Brazil also started the first strike war. So the idea is that we're going to be the only we're you know we're going to take out everybody else on Earth, and we're going to be the only people that can colonize the stars. Okay, I could see that. The problem is, I don't know if that military AI was necessarily the kind of person to propagate after he won the war. Because uh, yeah. his mindset, he seemed to be, have like a one-track that is the mind. Thing that Seek and that destroy. I mean, that's not exactly uh, because the kind as of much as it takes those types of personalities to do those types of jobs, it takes every personality to do to make you know like a species or a civilization and. As much as we don't want to get along with everybody these days, it seems like, um, you kind of do need everybody. Um, and the different strengths and weaknesses and perspectives are what makes it work. If everybody was, in the case of the Brazilians, the, the AI was basically only looking at it from a military standpoint, you know, so that was, I mean, there just was no colonizing there. There was no compromise. There was no, um, 
you know, there was no real future. I mean, other than to win. Well, what happens when you win? I don't know. I just keep going on until I win some more. Um, so, you know, having the alternate perspectives and, and the Bobs every time they cloned would have a little bit of a different perspective. And th that became important. Well, a different perspective, but all in the same. It's not like one was radically, I want to destroy everybody, but they all had different versions of, they all wanted to uh, save people, propagate the uh, the species. Uh, they just did it with, in, yeah, in slightly different ways. Whereas, you know, the Brazilians, they were on the other side. Aspect and you know, yeah, you do need those kind of people out there who are driven to get a certain job done. But then, when that job is done, they need to step back and let the other people, yeah, like I say, it's many different personalities to make a culture work. And the problem was, the Brazilians seem to just have one. Their mentality yeah. was, yeah, when uh, when you're a hammer, everything. One of the looks things like that happened uh, in the book too. Kind of the, their perspective I, on things. So this is always a writing. Uh, device or plot device or, you know, whatever, um, this instantaneous communication. Um, it, it has to be because otherwise, well, the, when it's not, you get the movie, what was it, Passengers, where, you know, like a lifetime or two goes by before you get a response to your message, which is, you know, how it really works, but that's not fun to watch in a movie. Um, but I, one of the things I did appreciate with this one is that the instantaneous communication solution took a long time. And even when it was developed, it wasn't every, everywhere all at once. You know, the, yeah, you were sent off to go exploring. Well, when the headquarters invented instantaneous communication, until you got that software download yeah, or that piece of hardware, um, you were not part of that net. So even though, you know, there was this net of people with instantaneous communication, there were still people out there, you know, like the, the World War II veterans that, you know, didn't hear that the war ended type of thing um, floating out there that they would run across from time to time. And, I, you know, again, instantaneous communications is a pipe dream and a, a sci-fi device. But it, I did like the way it was handled in this one. Um, where it, it took a long time to develop. And when it did develop, it wasn't everywhere all at once. It wasn't magic. It was a piece of technology. Uh, yeah, I was looking. Well, it kind of did treat it like magic. Like there was two things that I noticed that they didn't, they just kind of, I'm with you that I think it was as much writing a device as, as anything, the instantaneous communication and the ring drive, because the ring drive, they, both of them allowed the, the story to kind of progress and, and stay cohesive, but they, he didn't explain how either of them really worked at any sort of depth. Like I never really understood how the ring drive work was supposed to work or how uh, the communication right. worked. There was just a, like, when he first introduced it, there was just a little blurb which was completely forgettable, which because yeah. I don't which, remember anything. Again, because that science doesn't exist, how are you going to explain it? And it was just kind of like, okay, so, this is how know, we're going to get to the stars fast that's, enough. That's, and I'm, this is how we're going to talk. I'm fine with them there. taking that one and running. I mean, just they get a pass from me on that one. Yeah. Right. Uh,
Well, in the, well, because if they didn't have that instantaneous communication, yeah, would, this would be a very, like a very, very, very difficult book right. to read. Or it would be like Lord of the Rings, the, where the they're further, walking, the more they expanded, walking, you would just be all separate stories. The further the book went, the more the story would splinter off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the, the description in this one, uh, uh, Wikipedia like article here, um, basically it's, it's a, a subspace radio with a range of 25 light years, but you need a working transponder on both ends. So it's not like they just magically send it out there. It's like a really, yeah. again, the, this, yeah, the, the and actual I don't, know, I don't the think they use the term, but I wonder by, if it's like a I mean, quantum it just has entanglement to be foggy. Yeah, Cause it doesn't exist. Or, I no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like transporters, you know, great. You know, they sure. take your molecules apart and reassemble them. How exactly does that work? Well, you know, it just does. Story, you know? So, yeah, just wave your hands. Because you if know, it didn't, we got to watch people okay. driving around shuttlecrafts for, you know, 49 of the 52 minutes per episode. You know, so, you know, they get a pass. Um, Another bit of um, tech yeah, that they it. had was the roamers, which... I suppose you could call, I mean, because the, the box, we refer to this Bob as being, you know, a brain in a box, which basically that's kind of what it was. And the box wasn't mobile. It stayed in a place. Um, but so if it wanted to go out and explore, I, I mentioned the, the one culture they ran up against, um, you know, I said they were, they, there was a drone. That's, they, they did have drone, like they called them roamers. Um, that would go out and go places, um, whether it would be flying or I think some of them, you know, were like walking robots. But that's the roamers was how they interacted with the physical world, even though the box, the, the intelligence, you know, stayed somewhere safe in a basement or on a ship or something where, you know, and, and it just sent these roamers out to to do its research or interacting with other people. That was kind of a neat way of handling it because roamers were expendable well they were kind of well yeah they were kind of like a swiss army knife sort of or maybe they could specialize but you could have a bunch of them so that you could have uh, one could manipulate things one could yeah you know, like say be the eyes and ears uh and the he did uh, make a a point in a certain part of the book where um, I think when he before he left Earth he was working with these things and he found that his putting his computer programming to work he could basically write scripts figure out what these things needed to do and write scripts for these things so instead of having to control each one he would just basically set it up to do a task make sure they're doing it right yeah, they, they were like the industrial robots so he, you know started doing you know, multitasking um, gosh i was watching a show the other uh, and once day he figured that little gem out they, then you know he they could were, do it was at a rubber stamp factory and factory is a loose term you know it was like five people in a in a warehouse area but they had had this robot that they um had bought and one of the guys there had been with the company. He wasn't all that old. He'd been with the company long enough where his original job was cutting the blocks of wood that you make rubber stamps out of. And now his job is to train the robot because you basically would 
put this robot in place and then you would manipulate the arm to the spot where it would like grab the wood. And then you would say, okay, this is like, if you're familiar with how you um, do animations where you have key points um, and you'd say, okay, this is where this block of wood needs to go. And then it would move the arm over to like the conveyor belt and say, this is where the block of wood needs to you know, be let go. And and he didn't have to program that. He just had to kind of like show, manipulate that robot arm to do that. And the robot was learning from that. Oh, this was on the IBM. That was a scary show. Uh, but um, this is what I imagine these roamers to be. It was like you would take it there and you would you would give it a task to do, and it would you would have to show it what to do. But once it once it understood that, once it had been trained, once it learned, and it could learn perhaps how to do the task better. Well. Um, you know, you could just let them go. They would do the work. And in this show I was watching on TV, they literally turned on that robot at night and came back the next morning to, you know, everything done, basically. And all they had to do is package it up and ship it out. It was, and it, it used to have, you know, I, I don't know if it was more people. I don't think, in fact, I think that was the point they were making. Nobody had really lost their job. They just, Rather than cutting blocks of wood, this guy is now training the robot, you know, and they're able to produce that much more stuff. So, yeah. So those roamers, when I was watching that, I was thinking, like, man, I bet you that's what some of those roamers would look like where you'd say, okay, this is the task I want you to do. Go do it. Um, yeah. And the, uh, the, uh, I guess what he, I think what he used to control those roamers with was the guppy interface. I like that line in the book where he says, God, these people love their acronyms. Um, but guppy is a general unit, primary peripheral interface. Um, and so as the story progresses, I don't remember this. This must be from the original, uh, Battlestar Galactica, but, uh, General Akmar, uh, cause I don't remember him Star- in the, uh, ones from, that we watched must have been the first iteration from uh, he Star named Wars, him yeah. general akbar it's a and, and kind of had him talk like a like a you think a guppy would that was admiral akbar, Ad- yeah. Ad- admiral right uh star wars oh, well, the, I, uh, it's a trap <laughs> okay i i get i gotta go back and rewatch some of these things i got that all screwed up but yeah basically yeah and he starts to have fun with a lot of this stuff well but at yeah, one so point the guppy um, again virtual um, reality was a guppy. i know he has fun with the guppy and character. so he was having and conversations I think he, with guppy starts fish. to take on more of a um, so, personality that got to be a little weird go on. which is why he changed that if, after a while that's what that's actually again i know this is you know plot device and whatever but i thought that was really fun because the the you could see what in his virtual reality worlds how even that was evolving i mean much of this book revolves around evolving technologies evolving methods of dealing with you know unique or uh, situations novel situations that you've never come across before so you know you start doing it this way but that's not really working so let's try something else or you know that's got limitations so we need to grow beyond that so let's do something else so yeah um so this the book really is uh, I, i suppose you could you could characterize it as a book of evolution of technology and ai
he's still considers himself well, a human. I mean, he knows he's not a because physical even though human, he's but a he considers machine, himself a human. Uh, he does not you know, consider himself an artificial like intelligence and or a he, robot of it by any means. Right. Yeah. He's got memories. He's got morals. He can get angry. He, you know, he can have pride. Or a I mean, uh, replicant. I mean, one of them fell in love. Um, so, I mean, there's – yeah, that whole – it never lost his humanity regardless of how many clones were created. That's a good thing. Well, I- In in one of the other books, he tries to, yeah. In one of the other books, he tries, you know, to become human again, and then that kind of runs into the, uh, um, I don't want to say racism, but the, uh, uh, you're not the same as us thing, even though you're you're trying to be, uh, and that's addressed in one of the books that, uh, and then he realizes there's problem with it. it sort of the da- data story. Uh, at one point there, he's trying to be human. Then he yeah. realizes some of the problems when you're this kind of yeah, the, uh, uh, AI, um, he realizes the problem with some of it. I, I, like I said, I guess I'm playful not gonna, uh, is give my, away too much. Perhaps there. my best Read the books, people. They're awesome. way to characterize this um, series, this trilogy, because they're certainly playing with ideas. Um, they're playing with what ifs there. There's, playful references to nerd culture. I was going to call it pop culture, but it's really nerd culture. There's even, I suppose you could argue playful references to science um, where, you know, we're not going to look at it real tightly, you know, you know, like Von Neumann devices, that kind of stuff, or ring drives and, um, you know, speed of light, that kind of stuff. But Given that it's it's just kind of playing with concepts, playing with ideas, I think it really does a good job yeah. of of saying, okay, here's an AI or here's a person whose consciousness gets loaded into a box, who's sent out into space to to rescue humanity, you know, save humanity from itself, and and go and find new places for us to live, and um, and that what happens when it's out there by itself and it starts replicating and runs into other cultures. And, and what, if, what if we take these wars or these conflicts that we had on earth and carried them to the extreme out in space as we go exploring and darn near kill us off. And Oh yeah, by the way, we haven't even mentioned these people met the Borg um, going back to Star Trek too. We did. They also did encounter the, um, you know, basically, you know, resistance is futile, assimilate all the things out there too. And that, uh, you know, again, was a novel challenge that they had to deal with and how they address that situation. Um, so yeah, I just, it was, I, I would listen to this book again in a heartbeat. Matter of fact, it was one of those ones when you get done, you're like, Oh man, keep it going. What happens next? You know? Uh, yeah, I, you know, fun is one way. I guess the way I look at it is what if a 
creative mind had his uh, a bunch of boundaries, not all the boundaries, but a bunch of boundaries taken down. You aren't limited by a physical body, so you have these roamers that That's you can a good one. do different things about. with. You can uh, – you know, one yeah. thing we didn't talk about was that they could, uh, since they're a computer, they could jack their frame rate up. So milliseconds seemed like minutes or whatever. Uh, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, because then they could drop into, they could go to this high frame rate, especially when they're in like a, a battle situation. So they could crank up their frame rate so they could monitor several things at once and do a lot of things. So to us, it seems like they're in a blur, but to them, it's right. you know, or mentally speaking anyway, yeah, it, was it like seems a, like what, they're uh, you know in a, a, a you blur know, there, but they can do all this thing and simultaneously. And, you know, uh, even though yeah, they can I'd only single task, they do it really warping. fast. It's essentially um, what it is. Um, because like you say, it was all based on frame rates, but you know, he could, any particular Bob could choose to experience time in, you know, fractions of a millisecond, um, you know, discreetly or possibly, I don't remember what the, the slowest time, like if they had a lot of time to kill, like they were literally traveling from one galaxy to another with nothing to do, they could like take a, drop the frame, frame rate to like, I don't know, one frame per day and you know really make that time go faster um so that being able to play with that to deal with the realities of space travel and distances and and on the flip side like when you're in battle like i say looking like flash in the middle of uh, a fight where he's you know running circles around everybody else because they're moving in slow motion compared to him uh, was that was literally the way it was uh, portrayed in the book that he was able to, that the Bobs were able to, you know, analyze stuff at a uh, extremely high rate and come up with things that other people, you know, people, regular folk would not have been able to do. Well, and the other thing I thought was kind of interesting too was yeah. that um, yeah, like he that. didn't want to were uh, basically 3D print explosives because he was worried about them blowing up. So he went with these uh, 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 scuds. Was that the? Yeah, basically right. uh, that he could do uh, you know things with. Basically, they were just battering rams um that he could use and you know he could take out missiles with them but you know there was problems with that too and he had considered lasers but that was too energy inefficient i think he decided on um although at some point i think they did have i'm trying to remember now did they have sort of like a uh lightsaber type thing i reread the book now i forgot but they had this light thing that could come out and um that was uh, in the battle towards the end of the first book there. Oh, he had like a, it was a laser, wasn't it? Or yeah. a plasma or something? Something along that line that you could shoot out and, and yeah, I know the one you're thinking of. Yeah. And I just can't quite think of that. But yeah, uh, I thought that was because it'd be so easy to have, you know, explosions yeah, there in there, was, but you know, let's make it you know, fact, a little bit more difficult here. If we actually went back and, you know, and read the book, we'd come up with um, so much more Just for the sake of, you know, keeping it interesting. You know, one of the pieces but, uh, of technology that, that we haven't talked about um, is organization, almost political um, organization, because they did actually populate, inhabit, colonize 
various planets. And each of them wound up having their own different personalities. Part of it was each of them had their own different environmental challenges. Um, and part of it was, you know, they were just populated by different folk. Um, so, you know, they, essentially they were evacuating Earth. And so some of the people would be going to one place and other people would be going to another place. And how those played out, um, again, back to my playful thing, you know, let's take a bunch of planets and let's put some people on there. What if, you know, this planet developed this type of political system? And what if that planet developed that type of political system? You know, how would that look? What would be the, you know, how would that fall together or fall apart? Um, and, you know, I thought even that part of the book was quite interesting too, where they were trying to, the Bobs were trying to manage uh, the various economies and political systems on the various pl planets that they had um, colonized. There was a lot in this book. I mean, they basically, they covered um, science. Uh, there was even a little bit of religion with that one um, uh, culture that they ran across. There was economies, there was politics, there was environmental, you know, disasters, both on earth and elsewhere. There was military stuff. You know, there was a whole gamut of big ideas that were, again, I'm going to go back to being played with um, as far as, you know, what if, what if we did this? What if we did that? How would that look? You know, if, if you take this type of thing that we've seen through history and applied it out there, you know, how, how might that play out? So it really did bring in a whole lot of different possibilities and kind of, you know, again, play with them a little bit. Yes. Well, and and while you know, and I think we said well, we said before, but uh, Bob keeps his humanity because he discovers some of his sister's relatives, and um, and he you know he you know makes sure that they're taken care of. And as the other books progress, he sees these people grow older, become you know mature, become different people. He sees them die, and all the while he's basically not aging physically mentally he's growing and you know uh learning more stuff but he's going to unless something catastrophic happens he's going to last forever but he has to watch all these people that he know and he's come to you know love in his own you know electronic way uh you know uh age and you know either improve or or die or move on or whatever and he uh has to deal with that at different parts or the the bobs whichever ones it may be have to deal with that during uh, different parts of these books. And I think that is kind of interesting because it could have just been a, a sterile, you know, computer, but they decided to give it uh, a certain amount of humanity so that we can relate to it. Um, and how, and what would, you know, what would a human derivative uh, do yeah, out there I really in did space enjoy if you were given this? I mean, I would really you turn your back on humanity or would you it was try to help it? How would you do it? So I, you know, it keeps it human while making it you know, um, science-y. Um, but partly because it was nerd references too. And it was an easy read. That's air quotes there because we all listened to it. Um, and, you know, and, and when it got done, I, I wanted to, you know, 
sure, I just got done listening to three books. I wanted to hear books four, five, and six as well. I mean, I would go back to this universe in a heartbeat to see what happens. Um, uh huh. Yeah, no, I couldn't stop. I mean, this one, there's no way you were going to stop at the end of one. Well, you listen to the other two books as well? Uh-huh. Oh, I haven't done that yet. <laughs> yeah. We just spoiled No, you're compelled, basically. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because like I say, it goes on and the, the story, you, you yeah, do want to know how to develop. And like I say, they do develop, they do go on. You don't get upset um, by that. You know, this planet where he's the Bob, like I say, there's consequences there. Uh, I'll tease him. Well, no. No, no. Well, yeah. I don't mind spoilers at all. And uh, you know, I'll throw you another. I'll throw you another nugget. They dis, uh, discover a more advanced civilization out there, and then you know they they kind of hinted at that right at the end of the book. Yeah, at the end of the first book. Well, yeah. Well, okay, I take that back. There a couple. Uh, there's that one hinted at the end of the at the end of the book, but then that leads on to another civilization, and it, uh, one of those tough decisions. How? What do you do for this? civilization i'll just leave it yeah, at that you know, and, and, like, and, say, and the personality the, that they I mean, chose the main yeah, it, uh, call him bob prime like say, I, i'm happy that they managed um, to keep was a, a certain amount of his uh personality I mean, humanity really in there fun, which he never took himself what, too seriously uh, the book together. Uh, never took his job you know the fact you know saving humanity and exploring the galaxy too seriously i mean obviously it was serious enough but it kind of always kept it in perspective and would laugh at things like, yeah, I guess we just broke the prime directive, you know, and also why is the prime directive even a thing out here? That was a TV show. So, um, it was, it was a, it was well written, I think, um, as you know, because it did keep you engaged. You never got, you never got really confused. I mean, there was a lot going on. Without a doubt, by the time you get down to 10 generations of bobs, you're you're starting to lose track of who's who and where is where, and you're going to have to start keeping notes. But it never got overly complex either. It never got – you never really got lost in saying, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Which, like some books we've read, have definitely fallen into that thing. It was like I, I, you just lose track. Um, whereas this one was, was written well enough uh, that um, you liked the main character. You understood <laughs> the various venues, I guess, where everything else was going on and kind of the main players that play there. And because they all connected back into the main Bob, um, you, you know, like I say, you just never really lost track of them. You could always see those connections and how they were interacting and, and um, how they were, you know, all tied into the main mission i suppose so yeah no i i thoroughly enjoyed this book it's it's on my short list this is kind of in a class by itself because it really was so lighthearted. i mean i I like a lot of sci-fi books that that are deep and difficult and you know as long as there's a moral to the story or something interesting to make it worth your while i'm good with that this one you mean you could argue that there's a bunch of morals to the story because of all the different things they explore or none. There's, there is no grand glorious moral to the story, but it was, it was a lot of fun and you learned a lot. You got to, you know, jump through some mental hoops every now and then to kind of say, you know, okay, 
That's an interesting way of looking at that. What, how would that work? What would you do in this situation? Yeah. And threw in some of the arrival realities, right. you know. Yeah. It was kind of like if you took uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Europa Report and and they had a baby. And, you know, this is. The, yeah. Uh, yeah, some of that stuff. So I think it, uh, uh, it takes kind of the best of some of the stuff that we like, a little hard sci-fi. Um, you know, and if you don't poke at that too much, that's fine. A little hard sci-fi, a little humor, uh, you know, a little, a little humanity. They mix it all in there. And I think it's just the right mix, right. you know, yeah. for sci-fi nerds. Uh, nothing yeah. too heavy. You know, when, when the black box uh, but, yeah, in the corner you know, of the room says, hey, let's yeah, roll up you, our sleeves and I get mean, to work. I mean, hell, I've even you know, said some of the things har, har. that he was saying there so. that, you know, you know, let's, you know, roll up our sleeves. I don't remember. You know, that kind of smart-ass attitude. God, there's so many things to choose from. Oof. Let's see. There's the virtual reality rooms that you could just live in. Well, There's the uh, roomers that could go out what and do would, stuff for uh, you. What would you like? There's the whole like from, instantaneous uh, communication. Book, yeah. That would be a nice one to have. <laughs> I got to choose. Uh, I'm going to go with, I want, and which is interesting because I can have it for a small fee, the 3D printer. Whatever 3D printer technology they had that that could you know replicate themselves and build the things and granted it took time and resources and you had to gather those occasionally they had mining missions as well to gather raw materials but that's kind of you know the whole whatever you want you can make it so I'll take the you know the replicator the 3D printer. Uh, what about you, Mike? I think I would take the roamers because right now at school we're in the bil- middle of stripping wax from the floors. If I had some machines you, to do that for me, that'd be awesome. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and if I could just sit there and, you know, play games and just have these things set to do certain things and check on them once in a while and still get paid that, for it. Yeah, yeah I, that's, I that is the one thing. Essentially, this one I think I would take the ability to, to put my consciousness into a probe Eternally. that would be exploring the I mean, universe because, it, because of the be self-replicating fun. part of it um and including backups we didn't even mention the fact that they had backups if something happened you just you know download the latest backup and you know, miss a few memories but there you go just take off again and yeah to the, all of the things that you would see and experience and encounter and have to deal with that'd be yeah a good choice yeah Right. Well, the yep. idea of a backup, that's a whole nother thing. And we didn't thing. even touch you on know, the fact that actually... Imagine like if Hitler had a backup. One I of mean, these clones know, committed about, suicide. Think about that kind of stuff. Because you know, it had been tortured. Well, that's like the, uh, the Brazilian by, probe having all by, the backups, um, and they have to... Suppressing root them its all consciousness out and, and turning it into what we would call a robot, and doing things that it you know found morally, morally reprehensible. Yeah, probably. I'm spoiling everything here. Yep. 
and and um so basically this 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 consciousness in a box was being tortured and like a lot of people go through torture um it just couldn't recover from that even when that's fine i just like that doesn't sound like anything that i remember it's a it's a a black box in a corner um but when it committed suicide all it did it thoroughly all of the backups were were erased all of the you know data just the idea of committing suicide when you're a replicant with you know innumerable backups was it was like oh never thought about having to kill all the backups as well so anyway ending on a on a cheerful note there but yeah it's uh even that was something that this book explored i mean it just yeah highly recommend this (laughs) sure Right. Well, that wraps up this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. You can check us out at scifitechtalk.com or follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. Uh, if you have any ideas or comments, please send them to greetings at sci-fi tech talk.com and reviews on iTunes are always welcome. So, Mike, where can people find you? Um, they can find me on Twitter at DSC Chipman, and I have my about.me page. I, too, about, can be found uh, on Twitter about at Julie Keel, And if you want to listen to the other podcast, I do, you can check me out at about.me slash Julie Keel. Okay, and Julie, where can people find you? Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Matter of fact, we have to read and those you books. Can follow we me need to on do that Twitter at Bronco Sire. That's S Y E R. If you want to see my rejoicing about the expanse being uh, saved and now going to be on Amazon Prime. I started I and I did excited. finish, so it's time <laughs> to get back to that. Yeah. Yep. I've. I've read them all. Like, I, actually, I came across something. I think there's one of the the short stories that I haven't read yet. But I, other than that, I've read everything that's out. I believe so. Oh, they're so good. They're the best. Oh, I love them. Um, so the next episode, we'll be <laughs> covering the 2018 movie, uh, <laughs> The Titan, which is uh, on Netflix. It's on Netflix for you guys down there too, right? Yeah. I think it's a Netflix original. So if you haven't seen it, my advice is just listen to us. You don't need to see this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the uh, the synopsis is a military family takes part in a groundbreaking experiment of genetic evolution and space exploration. Uh, but that's it for the show, and we'll see you in the future. Where do you want to have it? It's the sci-fi tech talk. Where do you want to have it?